Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. I'm talking with Daryl Amy, who might be the only person more all over the place than I am. He is an author, a speaker. He is a dual podcast host of uh, both the Revenue Growth Podcast and Selling from the Heart Podcast. He's a co-host there. He's an author of Revenue Growth Engine. I think he washes dishes and I don't know what else he does, but he does everything. So uh, today we're going to be talking about how do we go from, we think that we have product market fit. We're pretty sure that we're a, a mid-sized company, small to mid-sized company. We've built, started to build up our sales team. So how do we go from somewhat built out, I think we can sell stuff to a well-oiled, scalable selling machine. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So with that said, Daryl, welcome to the show. Brian, it's great to be here. I'm so excited for this conversation. Yeah, we have no idea where this is going because we were going on different paths throughout the, uh, the, the entry into this. So we can go all over the place, but we know that we're going to have a lot of great stuff. So grab your notebook and pen and let's get to it. So I guess the first question, Daryl, is why in the world should we listen to you? What makes you such an expert on how to scale up a newly minted selling machine? I'm glad you asked. I'm, so I am a sales junkie with a marketing degree. And I've been in sales and sales development now for 29 years, um, mostly in the business to business space in the tech world. And uh, about 18 years ago, I started a sales training company, Brian, and my very first client said that training was great, but our marketing doesn't say anything about it. Do you build websites was the question. And being entrepreneurial and that my first client, I said, yes, sir, we do that. I'd actually built a website for a nonprofit and also for my church. But I took that and over the last two decades, what's been very interesting and why I think you should listen to me is I've had one foot in the sales world and one foot in the marketing world and bring the perspective of both of those together to help companies develop an engine to scale their business faster. Well, let's break that up into three segments and let's hit that sales let's hit that marketing and let's hit that as uh scaling the engine how would you say you from a marketing background you came came from your degree as marketing that was your discipline mm -hmm. so if you are put on your marketing hat and you'd like to talk to salespeople, what are the need to know must-haves that every salesperson should know Right now, because there's personal branding, there's, I mean, you have to know all of this technology to be able to do this. The integration of sales and marketing is combining, and we have that word smarketing floating around there. So <laughs> you, from that expert of marketing, what would you say to the sales team are the need to know that they have to have? Yeah, well, to all of my sales friends with my marketing hat on, I would say, um, the very first thing you, that is so critical to understand is to understand what your buyers are actually buying. And I'm a firm believer, Brian, that buyers don't buy products and services. They buy the outcomes those products and services deliver. And uh, it reminds me of Theodore Levitt. Ted Levitt was the father of modern marketing. He would walk into his Harvard Business School class 
on the first day of marketing 101. And if you were teaching sales 101, he would have done the same thing. And he was holding up an electric drill bit. And he would say, nobody in the history of Home Depot, Lowe's, insert hardware store here, ever went to the store to buy the drill bit. We all know what they went to buy. They went to buy the hole, right? And Seth Godin would go, well, they didn't really go to buy the hole. Seth Godin, the marketing genius would say, they needed the hole in the wall so they could hang the plaque on the wall or the piece of art to make themselves, uh, make their wife or husband happy, right? So um, that was the outcome. And then Donald Miller, one of my favorite authors as well of StoryBrand would say, well, they didn't really go to buy the hole or to hang the thing on the wall. We actually all descended from cavemen. And we know if we don't fit in a community, we're going to get eaten by a tiger. So I need to hang the thing on the wall so I have a community and I don't die. Here's the point to my friends in sales. It doesn't matter whether your customer went to the store to get a hole. It doesn't matter whether they went to the store to look good to their spouse or to avoid getting eaten by a tiger. The, perp, the whole point of this is buyers are not actually buying your products and services. So I would say to my sales friends, stop leading with your products and services and start talking about what your clients actually want, which are the outcomes. Or as Clay Christensen would say, um, they don't buy your products, they hire them for a job to be done. And I think it's really important for salespeople right now, especially in this dynamic marketplace that we're in, to be able to really uh, look at their clients, ask their clients, what challenges are you facing in your business today? What's going on? What are you aiming at right now? Um, and what, you know, what are you looking for? Because that's going to give you the clues to what's top of mind to them. It's actually going to get their attention. And then it's going to be a springboard for having that sales conversation around something that's meaningful. And uh, so I would say with my marketing hat on to my sales friends, remember, they don't buy the products, they buy the outcomes. So lead with the outcomes, talk about the outcomes your clients want, and you're going to see a lot more success. So to push back a little bit, yeah, we know that, right? Mm -hmm. We've been told this forever. What's your sense of why we keep having to beat this drum that we're still not doing that? The salespeople are, and I would argue that even marketing people aren't doing this. They're all features That's and true. benefits as well, right? So what's what's your sense of how do we finally get people to start doing this stuff? Well, of course, common sense is not usually common practice. And yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I think... Hopefully, hopefully we got a wake up call in the last couple of years on this, Brian. And, you know, the, the pandemic was a wake up call for a lot of organizations. And uh, what they began to realize was, well, let, let's take the, the tech industry, one industry I'm very familiar with. Um, the tech industry before the pandemic, the market research firm Gartner would survey clients and say, what outcomes are you looking for? And pre-pandemic, they would say, we want scalability. We want you know, we want to be able to ramp up and grow faster. Well, once the pandemic hit, if that was your marketing message, uh, if that was your sales message, you called and said, hey, Brian, I want to call, I want to meet with you to talk to you about how you can ramp your business up and scale faster. Um, you know, that would have been a massive disconnect. Little aside, by the way, how many companies forgot to change they're nurturing emails when the pandemic began. And we're sending out these emails around in today's world where companies are growing rapidly, you know, blah, blah, you're like, whoa, whoa. So, so we realized when the pandemic started, we had to pivot word of the year for 2020. And we had to pivot our message around 
redundancy, resiliency, remote work, and all of that. Well, we learned that lesson. I think most salespeople learn that lesson either by doing that or learn the hard way in 2020 that we've got to adjust our message for the times. Well, guess what? The times, they are changing. <laughs> They're going to continue to change. They're always changing. So we've come out, you know, as we're recording this in mid-2022, now, you know, we've got supply chain issues, we've got price increases, we've got inflation, we've got global instability, all of these things that are dramatically affecting and are top of mind, right? And salespeople want attention. They're dramatically affecting and they're top of mind our clients and prospects. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, it's common sense to say, if I want to get someone's attention, if I want to have a, get an appointment with somebody, I need to be talking to them about something that's top of mind. Why is that not more common? Um, it's a really good question. I think a lot of times uh, salespeople, one of the biggest gaps in the sales profession, I'm going to speak to my B2B friends is, um, and also B2B sales leaders is... There is a deficiency in business acumen inside the sales profession in terms of we know a lot about our products, but on average, my experience has been sales professionals don't spend as much time or know as much as they could or need to about business itself and how it works and how specifically their clients' businesses run. And ultimately, you know, we throw around a lot of adjectives in sales and marketing departments about enhancing profitability and improving competitive advantage and streamlining operations. Uh, but we throw a lot of those words around without really understanding underneath the surface of, okay, well, what does that really mean for our clients? And, you know, how can we build the bridge from our product or service to the outcome our clients want? Well, let's hit that right there. Let's go into more of the tactics. Okay, we all know, we all agree, hopefully by this point, that we have to do the outcomes. Focus on the outcomes. What's the solution that you're going to solve? And here's an even more curious thing that I find, Daryl, is that most organizations can't tell you what they do. It's, it's a really curious thing. Whenever you say, hey, what do you do? They go into a lot of, well, here's how we do it, or right. here's... Um, different segments, but they don't, or what we do the the one, two, three steps, but what they don't do is tell you what problem they solve. So can mm -hmm. you give any practical advice, tactical advice of how do you really identify what the outcome is that you're, that you do or that you solve for? Yeah. On one level, it's actually super simple. Um, and that is you talk to your best clients. Right. So, uh, I mean, it is, and, and, and look, my marketing friends that are listening in, um, you're not off the hook on this because salespeople, you know, meet with your current clients, especially your, your best clients, your ideal clients, um, your top 10 or where, whatever that is for you as a sales, sales professional, meet with them on a regular basis. And of course, you know, update them on how you're performing. If you're doing quarterly business review and all of that, but make sure to insert questions of, Hey, I'm curious, you know, what's going on in your business right now? Um, in Selling from the Heart, when we're training sales professionals in the art of authentic prospecting, we would say, you know, let's prospect with insight. So, so you might act, ask an insight question. 
that would uh, begin with a signal, like I'm curious, well, that immediately tells someone you're about to ask them a question, right? I'm curious, and then bring an insight. You know, I'm curious right now with um, sales turnover averaging 3x the average turnover in the rest of the business world, how that's affecting your sales team, right? So now I'm going to ask a question based on an insight and I'm going to listen. And so if I go into my current client base, I know some things about the world right now that are pretty obvious. There's a supply chain problem, there's inflation. And I'll just be able to say, hey, Brian, I'm curious, you know, how's this supply chain thing affecting you guys right now? Like, what's that look like for you? Because what's going to happen in that is you start peeling the onion back a few layers. And people like to talk about this stuff, by the way, you know, yeah, Dale Carnegie said people a favorite, uh, favorite sound in the world to anyone is their own name. The second favorite thing they like to talk about is their own business. So when you start talking to your clients about their business, usually they're very open. I'm curious how this is affecting you. And as you start unpacking, you know, some of these big macro issues down into your, your client base, they're actually going to give you the nuance to how it's affecting them and their business. And they're going to give you even the specific words to say to be able to go out and have that conversation now as salespeople with your prospects. Marketing's the same way. Marketing, um, you know, I say when I, marketing's main role, I believe, or at least first role should be talking to current clients, whether that's doing case study interviews or success story videos or whatever. And the purpose of that is yes, to create some great, powerful marketing material, but also to become informed as to what's going on right now and what to say in this season that's actually going to work. And so I think the best and fastest way to get a finger on the pulse of what's going on with outcomes your clients want is to actually just talk to your best clients. And you know, when you do that as a sales professional and a marketing professional, I believe that's some of your highest leverage time because you immediately up, upgrade your ability to have a conversation with, to communicate with um, your prospects when you do that. Yeah, and it's using their language as opposed to marketing jargon or using their language as opposed to technical jargon. Now, before we don't uh, pivot off of this, one other last thought I had on this is how often are we changing up that message or maybe a better way of asking that is what are the identifiers that it is time to switch yeah. up the, 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 the message? Yeah. I have a suspicion that we need to be doing it way more often than we think. <laughs> <laughs> and I, here's why, here's why the, the world, the world is changing rapidly. And I think, you know, I can look back over personally, my three decades um, in, in the sales and marketing world and identify, maybe it's just getting older, but it seems like things are changing a lot quicker now than they were say 20 years ago. And what that means is I think there's a lot of potential first mover advantage for, for sales and marketing teams that go out and really have their ear to the ground, um, and, and can pivot their message quickly. Look, your product and service doesn't necessarily change. You're still selling the same product. Um, you know, just like 
uh, tech company was selling a SaaS product before the pandemic. They were selling it during, and they were selling it, you know, now air quotes around after the pandemic. And the, the product was probably the same, but the outcomes their clients wanted, and therefore probably the features and, and different aspects of the product that the conversation ended up focusing around were different. So you go, okay, well, if I want to get competitive advantage and I want to get a first mover advantage, if you will, in the marketplace, um, the beautiful thing is you don't, you can always get a first mover advantage. You don't have to be a brand new company in a new space to get a first mover advantage. You can always get a first mover advantage when you identify a new outcome or a new nuance on an outcome that your clients or best clients want. And that's, you know, how often should you uh, pivot the message? I would say as often as you can. And in the sense that right now, you know, you look and you go, okay, well, what's tomorrow's problem going to be? I have no idea, <laughs> right? I love futurism and all that kind of stuff. I could maybe guess, but the, the problem that, that we're going to have, you know, six months or a year from now, um, you know, if I can be the one listening to my clients and understanding, just go back, you know, let's rewind a little bit and say, if you were on the front, let's say you're, you're in a, an industry that was highly affected by the supply chain crisis. And quite frankly, who hasn't been? I mean, it's, you know, it's, we've all been affected. If, if you were on the front edge of watching that unfold and you had your ear to the ground, and you're talking to your clients, wouldn't it have been beneficial and that's the, that was the top of mind thing, right? It's what everyone wanted to talk about. Wouldn't it have been beneficial if you could have jumped on that faster? And uh, I think the answer for most companies is, yeah, man, if we could have jumped on that faster um, from a marketing message standpoint and from a sales conversation standpoint, we probably could have, um, you know, gotten more impact out of it. And, and from a more altruistic standpoint, we probably could have helped more people. Um, because we would have been able to get through to them because they're thinking, what are we going to do about the supply chain crisis? Um, so, yeah. And then the other side of that is, I would think that we in sales, we in marketing need to watch what's going on in the marketplace, watch what trends are coming down the path, because you're going to be able to filter through, connect the dots much better than what others are. And that's where we're bringing those commercial insights. That's where we can yes. set apart. Whenever we do reach out to somebody, whether through phone or email, it's having that commercial insight that's going to catch their attention, go, well, that's curious. And reality, and you said this a little bit earlier, Daryl, a lot of times it's simply repackaging what it is that's going to be relevant to them right now. It's not wholesale changing your offering. You can't do that. It's simply, hey, look at it th from this perspective, whereas last week it was from this perspective. So just switching that up slightly is, I think, what would be required, right? Yeah, and I think making this part of your culture, and I, I think, you know, sales, I've watched sales teams that have integrated, for example, they've realized, you know what, we need to do more cross-selling and we need better relationships with our clients. So one of the simple tactics they integrate is a quarterly business review. And, uh, you know, so they go in and done correctly. And by correctly, I mean, by talking, done with talking about their business and not just yourself, um, those become really good, consistent touch points with current clients to have your ears to the ground. And I think for organizations, when there's quarterly business reviews, 
I think it's a great idea for marketing to come along with some of those or with permission, listen to some of those recordings, because that's where, that's where you get the gold nuggets and the signals on this. And, you know, we live in a world where it's really easy for sales and marketing and everybody to kind of wring their hands and go changes. Oh, we're changing is so frustrating, you know, and all that stuff. But if we can start to see that change as an opportunity to jump on understanding what the implications of that change are going to be, offering commercial insight and connecting that back to our products and services in support of helping our clients achieve their outcomes, we have all this change gives us repeated continual outcomes for first mover advantage and developing a competitive uh, strategic advantage in the marketplace on a regular basis. So I say, keep the change coming, right? You because most companies are going to remain flat footed um, in terms of we're just sticking with our old message or we're using our marketing mush of adjectives around productivity, efficiency, and blah, blah, blah. Or, or we're just simply talking about our product and the ones that can jump on the opportunity to talk about the current outcomes in the language of their clients are going to be the ones that, uh, that really drives success moving forward, I believe. Yeah. So instead of asking what should, uh, what should sales, you know, put you on your sales hat and talk to marketing, because everything that you said, I think needs to be done in both sales and marketing. Is it fair enough to say that point? Yeah. And I think it's a, you know, there's so many different, it's important for sales and marketing to work together. I think we can all agree. I think we can also agree that they don't (laughs) most of the time, (laughs) let's be honest. Uh, That's why I wrote a book about sales and marketing alignment, but I think one of the key ways that sales and marketing can align is by talking together with current clients. And then what you're able to do is you're able to walk into your prospects. I love the way Anthony Iannarino frames this in his new book, Elite Sales Strategies. He says, you know, we were all trained to, to walk into our clients back in the day and go, what keeps you up at night? What challenges are you facing in your business? What Anthony says, and I wholeheartedly agree with is, you should already know what challenges they're facing in your business. How do you know? Talk to your current clients. Then you're able to go in and rather than ask, you know, some brutal discovery process, like every other sales rep get in line, right? Um, instead say, hey, we have, we're continually talking with our current clients in this space. These are the challenges they're telling us about. Would you like an executive briefing on um, some strategies that we found to help address this problem and get this outcome. So now we're truly walking in instead of, you know, tell me your pain. Um, and, and we're, which is, you know, smacks of commission breath to the core, as we like to say it, selling from the heart. And we're saying, Hey, let's, let's do our due diligence with our customers. Let's ask them about their business. And then let's take that, combine it with what we know and come to the market with actual commercial insight that's current and relevant and hot off the press. And uh, I think, you know, you ask how often should you change that message? One way to look at it is if you're doing quarterly business reviews with your clients and you're listening quarterly to their needs, then you should be able to slightly change or dramatically change your commercial insights once a quarter and be able to go out and deliver a quarterly briefing. Uh, yeah, that was that was kind of my mindset too, because so much of business, so much of life changes on a quarterly basis. I, I was yeah. thinking quarterly would likely be a good time to update, not wholesale change, but that seems to have enough time that you can test it and make yep. small iterations. 
but a long enough period of time that you can make a big enough change in the end of that quarter to, to, that you can stay relevant or stay ahead of it. So I wholeheartedly agree with that. Now, well, let's jump on that for a second, though, because I want to just think about this. This is a great line of conversation here because marketing then can take that, right? So marketing, you've, we've got to wear that marketing hat and go, what are we going to talk about now? <laughs> you know, like right. what, what blog article are we going to write? What, you know, what lead magnet are we going to put together? And so by marketing participating in those conversations with current clients, um, now marketing is able to go, okay, in this next quarter along that topic line, what are 12 blog articles we could produce? What are, you know, 12 podcast topics we could address? What experts could we bring in? What lead magnet could we put together? And so this becomes a evergreen way to keep the commercial insights relevant and fresh and escape, you know, the blah, blah, blah of most, most marketing out there. And, and, um, I, I really like, um, you know, and I, I think the best thing we can do just to wrap this section up is just keep our ear to the ground with our current clients and always be adapting our message based on the nuances of the outcomes that they want. Yeah. And so how, let's talk through that. So how do we adapt the team? So we're a, let's say a three, $5 million organization, maybe up to a $10 million organization. We have a, a fledgling sales team. Maybe we're moving from a founder led sales group to more of a robust salesperson uh, or sales group. Rather, we, we are not only looking at inbound, but also outbound. So we're doing on the channel type uh, prospecting. So walk me through, is that where this revenue growth engine comes into play? And it seemed like there was maybe a, um, an outline or a, a methodology that we should know about. Absolutely. And, you know, this is where I had this epiphany moment, Brian, I, I actually, this may come as a shock to a lot of people, but despite all the advice of my business coaches and virtually every book I've ever read on success, I actually mow my own lawn. <laughs> and the reason I mow my lawn, you laugh and I can see it right I'm out not letting my wife right listen to this. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I understand you should delegate that and delegate to elevate and, and all of that. However, um, what I like about mowing my lawn is unlike a lot of the work that I do in helping clients develop and execute growth strategies and training salespeople, when I mow my lawn, I see immediate immediate results, the straight lines, the grass, and best of all, while I'm doing it, I get to listen to wonderful podcasts like this one. So uh, anyhow, I'm mowing my lawn one day and uh, I'm thinking about a conference I'm about to speak at um, and I'm following Marcus Sheridan at this conference, which that's big, big shoes to fill. Uh, and uh, they ask you answer, phenomenal book, huge fan. And uh, I've got marketing people in the room. I got salespeople in the room. And I'm like, what am I going to say to this group, right? Usually I talk to marketing people or I talk to salespeople and now they're all in there together. What am I going to say? And what I realized while I was mowing my lawn as I'm puttering across these nice, beautiful, straight green rows is I realized I'm looking at my driveway and I see my car is in the driveway and I realized my lawnmower has an engine and my car has an engine. Now, they're, they both have engines. If I was to drive from where I am right now to where you live, I could do that in my lawnmower. It would just take me a lot of time to get there and there would be a lot of mockery and uh, I might actually die on the freeway. You know, it wouldn't be good, but it, it would be doable. I'd much rather get in my car. My lawnmower, I found out, has 
uh, two cylinders and generates 24 horsepower. Um, and my car has eight cylinders and generates 420 horsepower. So I'd much rather, if I want to accelerate, I need more cylinders and more horsepower. And that's when I realized every business has a growth engine. Uh, you got to where you are today. Maybe it was the founder, you know, that still has a sales hat on. However, you got to where you are, you have a growth engine. But I noticed a lot of businesses are like an engine that's not running on all cylinders. And the more cylinders we can add, uh, the more marketing and sales processes for my Canadian friends that are uh, dedicated to uh, driving net new revenue and cross-sell revenue, sell more to new clients, sell more to your current clients, the more cylinders we can have that engine, the faster the business accelerates. And so revenue growth engine was put together with a mindset of going, okay, what are all the things that would need to be in place for a business to accelerate growth? What are the things that need to be in place from a marketing standpoint and from a sales standpoint? And specifically, um, thinking in terms of scaling, how could those be implemented as repeatable processes inside the business and not just random acts of marketing, as my friend Jennifer Zick likes to say, or you know, random acts of selling? <laughs> and and uh, how could we take those and make those uh, repeatable, scalable processes? So I like to look at a business uh, from the standpoint of, okay, is this a two-cylinder business? Is this a four-cylinder? Is this a 12-cylinder? You know, what kind of horsepower is here? And uh, the whole goal of Revenue Growth Engine was to give a template that you're, you could lay over your business and go, okay, we're, we're doing great here, but you know, we have a massive gap here. And if we filled that, maybe we could get this thing growing and scaling faster. Okay, so why don't you uh, lay out what's that template look like? Is it like eight, uh, three steps? Is it a million steps? What's that thing look like? Well, first of all, if your listeners um, want to see the template, just text the word revenue to 21,000 and uh, that'll get you through to our free resources, which includes the revenue growth engine map and also access to a free copy of the revenue growth engine book. Nice. But um, if I can unpack it, um, the first thing is is the flywheels of the engine. And so this really gets down to our goals. And what I realized while I was putting all this together is that there's really only two ways to grow revenue. We either get net new business, go out and land a new deal, new customer, new logo, ring the bell, or we cross sell more to our current clients. Those are really, if you think about it, the only two ways to grow revenue. You may go, well, we're gonna acquire a company. Great, you better continue getting net new business and you better cross sell more to those clients. So. What I've discovered, uh, Brian, is that most businesses are usually good at one or the other. They're usually either lean to being really good at going out and grabbing net new, ringing the bell and you know landing the deal, or they're really good at managing those client relationships and growing uh, the wallet share inside those client relationships. Most businesses are good at one or the other. When you get good at both at the same time, modest growth in net new business combined with modest growth in cross-sell revenue yields exponential growth for the business. So what I like to say is if you're good at net new business, but you're not good at cross-sell, which seems to be true for about 70% of the businesses we work with, um, keep doing what you're doing on net new and put processes in place to take, you know, that once you get the deal, as Mark Hunter says, you don't close a deal, you open a relationship. Once that relationship is open, put processes in place 
to cross sell to maximize the value you're delivering. Um, flip side, if you're really good at managing client relationships, but you haven't seen a new deal in a long time, uh, keep managing your client relationships and growing, but put processes in for net new business. And um, so that is the flywheel of the engine is net new and cross sell and the theory of exponential growth or the law of exponential growth. And when we get both of those running at the same time, modest growth becomes exponential. It's interesting, um, Brian, I was just preparing for uh, revenue growth strategy workshop that I'm doing in a couple of days uh, for a great company. And they've been doing really well at net new growth, They're doing extremely well. Um, but when we added in a modest amount of cross-sell revenue growth, all of a sudden their goal, you know, their, their hockey stick, right? <laughs> you yeah. get the old hockey stick. Once again, for all my Canadian friends, the hockey stick growth comes um, into play. And so that, you know, looking at your engine, um, looking at your company in terms of, okay, what do we have? What processes do we have in place for net new? What processes do we have in place for cross-sell? And if we're weak in one of those areas, that probably gives you a pretty good idea where you could focus. Modest growth of 12 to 13% in net new, your total number of customers, along with modest growth of 12 to 13% per year in cross-sell, which is measured by your revenue per customer. Get both of those going at the same time. You double revenue in less than 36 months organically. And uh, it's really cool to see what's possible when both of those are running at the same time. Yeah, so to, to grow 36 months, to double revenue in 36 months, that's a massive growth. And if you don't have good systems and processes in place, that if you're growing that quickly, you probably really need to reinvent or re, re, um, restructure your organization once every 90 days just to keep up with that growth, if not a touch sooner. So it, it, I would think if you're having that much growth, you really need to know all of the good organizational structures from sales and marketing to operations, getting it out the door, making sure our customers are super happy. And then the finance side that we can keep up because the biggest thing about growth, growth sucks cash. You better keep, a, keep an eye on that, that bottom line. Yeah, which is another, um, well, another part of the revenue growth engine as well. And, um, and by the way, just to comment on that for, for another moment, if all your growth's on net new and you've got to hit, you know, say a 30% year over year target, you're adding a ton of new customers and onboarding a lot of people that really taxes an organizational infrastructure. If you're able to say, let's just get a modest number of new clients and let's get a modest increase in our revenue per client by putting cross-sell processes in place. Depending on your organization, overall, my experience has been if you can keep both of those going at the same time but make them modest, you can create manageable growth. And you're absolutely right. A company runs danger when they outrun their capacity to deliver. And that's why I like this combination of net new and cross-sell revenue growth is usually once you've got a client relationship established, putting more revenue and more product or offerings into that relationship is usually easier than onboarding a new client, which usually takes a lot of work. So um, anyhow, the, but the other point of this, uh, the other part of the engine, the flywheel is net new and cross sell, but the, the, the driver of all of it right in the middle of the engine is your client and um, understanding who your ideal clients are. 
And, and this is really important as well when it comes to taxing or not taxing your operational capacity. Um, Vilfredo Pareto was the great Italian economist that made this aha moment one day um, it, they called Pareto's principle that he named after himself or someone named it after him that 20% or 80% of the results are coming from 20% of the effort. And um, it's really, I mean, you see this all over the world, but you certainly see this in companies. And if you look and you, if you've got a thousand clients or customers and you scrape off the top 20% and add up the revenue, I can just about guarantee you that you're going to find the top 20% of your clients are delivering the vast majority, 80%, sometimes more of your revenue. I've seen this happen over and over again. So what I say is if, and not only that, those types of clients typically um, not only are delivering larger chunks of revenue, oftentimes we find that they're also better aligned with the company in terms of their cultural fit their values. Um, they actually enjoy doing business with them. I love asking people, who are your favorite clients? And what do you like about working with them? We get that kind of qualitative description going. And then you start to look at the numbers and realize that either those clients are buying more than the other clients, or they could be. And so I think the revenue growth engine, while you know, a lot of companies in their early days will take an order from anyone that can fog a mirror, or as we used to say back in the early days of sales, press hard, the fourth copy is yours. Um, as a company matures, I think a very smart thing to do is go, who are our favorite clients? Who are our best fit clients? The ones that align with our values, our culture as a company, they're going to stick around. They give us references. They pay on time. They also have the ability to buy everything that we offer. So they have good revenue potential, or if we were an investment firm, we would say that client's got a good yield um, on you know our efforts for those clients, and that's where you know when you look at scaling your business, as you get out of those early days and you're in that now in the five to ten million or whatever that looks like for you, I think it's very important at that iteration of your company to clearly understand who your ideal clients are. Um, so you can go get more of them. And so you can maximize your revenue per client, all yeah. kinds of reasons, but the operations one is a big one because now you're focusing your resources on high yield clients. It's interesting. There was a study way, way back in, in the day by the Boston consulting group. And they, they suggest it's even worse than that, that the top, that Pareto principle, that top 20% is mm -hmm. pushing off 150% of your revenue. The bottom takes so much of your revenue, you're actually at yes. a loss with those ones. That's where you end up with 100% of revenue. And so if you can identify those, and I'm curious, so summing this up so far, what you talked about is identify your goals, then figure out, and those goals are going to be, are you going to sell more net new or more cross-sell upsell? And then you're going to want to do a both and approach and identifying your ICP and then back to what we were talking about earlier, that sales and marketing approach of what are the outcomes that are need to get done. And that's going to be the personas to yes. speak to that ICP about the outcomes from their perspective through that commercial insight to be able to get that done. So if we do all that, what else should we need to do? Because my guess is there would have to be, you know, identifying the right people, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. What else are we going to do after that? 
Well, you're absolutely right. So once you understand that ideal client, you understand who the decision makers and influencers are in that client. Uh, we know in the B2B space that there are multiple decision makers and influencers. Just had a phenomenal conversation with Brent Adamson, Challenger Sale, on our Selling from the Heart podcast that'll come out this summer. And you know they found out there were 5.4 decision makers on average in a B2B transaction. Um, that number's higher now. But the it's more than doubled, hasn't it? With a, yeah, it's over 10 in a yeah. lot of industries. It's really interesting. Now, once again, you look at that and go, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And, and Or you can look at that and go, what a great opportunity. We have 10 entry points into an account now um, when we're prospecting. Uh, but it's important, talked about those outcomes, right? The bigger, big outcomes to then understand, well, what does that mean in the world of a CFO? What does that mean in the world of a HR director? What does that mean in, you know, whoever, whomever you're selling to? Um, And so when we say personas, my marketing friends, you know, we like to do personas around, well, uh, CFO Charlie is an average of 56.2 years old. He reads the Atlantic magazine, has an MBA from Wharton and is, you know, likes to blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah. Those are great demographic things. That, that's great. I don't, don't stop doing that. That's great for CFO Charlie. But what I really want to know for CFO Charlie is in, you know, this specific year or quarter, what's top of mind to him or her? What are the outcomes they want? So make sure those personas have some meat to them, that they're not just, um, you know, nice pictures of people. That's really good to know the demographics, but also get down to the actual business side of things. So you can offer commercial insights and of course to who they are. But um, so ideal client profile, decision makers and influencers, those personas are really important. The next part of the revenue growth engine before we get to the actual sales and marketing processes. And once again, if you want to deep dive into this, just grab a copy of revenue growth engine, just text the word uh, revenue to to 21,000 or just Google revenue growth engine. But um, before we get down to the actual processes, the question is how do you figure out what processes need to be put in place? And I figured my contention, my theory, and actually we've seen this played in practice. So it's more than theory is one of the best ways to do this is to think from the perspective of the client. And there's a whole discipline called customer experience that our operations friends and our our client success friends know a lot about that I believe can benefit sales and marketing tremendously. Customer experience says, okay, through the lens of the customer, through the eyes of the customer, what happens from the time someone first encounters your company all the way through that decision-making process to the first order all the way through their life cycle as a customer. We might in the marketing world call that or sales world call it the buyer's journey and the customer life cycle. That's great, but I want to look at it through the customer's lens. What happens at each stage? What are the goals to move between the stages? Like how are we trying to move, you know, what are the goals to get to the next stage? And most importantly, where's the friction and where's the motivation as people move between each stage? And uh, when we get a group of people together, I love doing this. I'm doing this um, a couple of days this week with a client. We'll map out that entire client experience, identify the motivation and friction, and then we'll go, okay, sales, what could be done to make this client experience more frictionless? 
um, marketing? What could you do, not just to generate a lead at the beginning, but to support um, support the the whole process moving forward and operations? They'll be in the room as well because a lot of the revenue potential is across cell revenue once somebody's a client. So when you look at customer experience, that's when you have the opportunity to uh, to really um, get create something special and invent sales and marketing processes that are actually going to help you move your business forward. Yeah, and and you know, getting that and I couch it as buyer's journey, right? Making sure mm -hmm. that buyer's journey is frictionless as possible, which goes to that ident identifying the customer experience. So I love that as well. But what are so because we're quickly running out of time here. What yeah. are what are maybe the last couple of pieces that we need? to build out this revenue growth engine? Well, the last piece is process. And, and here's, here's why I think this is so critical. I work with a lot of companies that run very efficiently um, using systems like the Entrepreneur's Operating System from the book Traction, for example. Um, and Gina Wickman is a massive believer in processes that are FBA, followed by all, right? And you look at a business and, and HR has a process, shipping and receiving has processes, hopefully finance has a process. But when you get to marketing and sales departments, it's like the wild west in most companies, right? It's like uh, the sales, like sales teams are literally like the wild west, like a bunch of gunslingers hanging outside the saloon, flipping a coin while a tumbleweed blows by. And the sales manager says, y'all go sell something. And we wonder why we try to onboard new salespeople and they fail. There's no process. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, a free for all. Um, so what can you do to create process? And I would say, kick it up a level to create playbooks, which is processes plus tools, plus talk tracks um, and all the things that you need to execute that process. Marketing, we don't get away with anything here either because a lot of marketing is very, random. I quoted Jennifer Zick earlier, random max of marketing, right? Oh, let's, roll the, let's run an event. Let's do a blah, blah, blah. Let's do this shiny object. With all of this understanding of how you want to grow your business, who you want to sell to, your ideal client profile and their experience, that's where it's really important to go. Let's create documented processes. Are they going to be perfect? No, but they'll be improvable. Once you have a process in place, you can tweak it. So this is where we see a lot of companies, you know, they've scaled up to a certain point, um, somewhere in the single digits and millions in revenue, and they realize they're plateaued and they're stuck. And maybe this founder wants to take that hat off yeah. um, and they can't seem to, they hire a sales rep or two and they don't stick. And then they go, ah, I guess that doesn't work. Where, where that company needs to go is in creating those processes, those core processes and, and making sure that that gets documented, backed with tools, we call it a playbook, so you can move forward. And at that point, that's, those kind of become the cylinders, the engine. If you can think about it, every time you get a good playbook put in place, now the, you're adding cylinders to your engine, and now you give yourself the ability to scale. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, um, this, you know, we, we follow traction, the entrepreneurial operating system here. And I'm not sure if you know this book right here, but that's, so this is Clockwork uh, by Mike Michalowicz. 
And if Mike's you look awesome. at, yeah, exactly. If you look at chapter five, step four, to go along with what Daryl is talking about with that process implementation, that allows you to get part of that process into playbook, into onboarding, into training, because your onboarding of net new hires is going to yep. be part of that. And so that's, that's so critically important. All right. So to sum this up, to make sure that I have this, we identify our goals, how we're going to reach those goals, whether mostly through net or mostly through cross-sell, upsell. Ideally, it's a little bit of both. And you said moderately is somewhere between 10 to 15% or what's an ideal number that we're looking to grow there? Well, it depends on the company, but 10 to 15% growth in each one of those areas will sure. yield doubling of revenue in you know, less than 36 months. So that's where I look and go. I call that an aggressive but realistic goal. When okay. you add them up, you go, that's pretty aggressive. But when you realize, could we do 12, 15% growth in customer base? I hope so. Yeah. You know, could we do 12 to 15% growth in revenue per client by bringing on more ideal clients and cross-selling more to them? I hope so. You know, and that's where you go, wow, you know, modest growth in each of these areas yields exponential growth overall. And that gets me excited. Yeah. And in my sense is then you're going to have more and more of your ideals because a lot of times if you're cross-selling, upselling, you're going to increase your number of uh, introductions and referrals from your current right. happy customers because you're spending so much time with them. So it's going to be less cold calling. Your customer acquisition cost is going to go down. So there's nothing that good, but good that's coming out of this. Okay. So we identify how we're going to get that 10 to 15, 10 to 20% growth um, off of each segment, that's going to be a better improvement of identifying that ideal customer profile. And whenever we're talking our personas, it's identifying that emotional compelling reason why they're going to change their behavior to do something new with you. So that gets into that ICP and personas. And then we're going to make sure that we defrictionalize through a good customer experience journey, that good buyer's journey, and then make sure that we put everything down in the system process and a playbook to onboard and train up people and then maybe tweaking every quarter or so, always be improving, yes. but addition or make sure at least once a quarter we're, we're making sure that this thing is still valid. Is that a good summary of what we hit there? A hundred percent. And that's where, you know, once that engine's in place, now you can performance enhance your engine, right? You yeah. can tweak and optimize and fine tune and change the oil and all of those things to use that analogy. So this is the mindset though, is, is to say, how do I take, you know, as we're scaling the company up, how do I build an engine that's going to allow me to get to where I want to go tomorrow? You may have had an engine that was, you know, uh, big enough to get you to where you are today, but it's kind of like, you know, you got a bigger boat now, you need a bigger truck to pull it. So um, the more you can upgrade your growth engine and your capacity there, the faster and uh, you're going to be able to scale. Yeah. And one of the things, because you mentioned it earlier, I was talking with a gentleman earlier today running an exploratory call with him. And he said, yeah, it turned over two salespeople. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's because none of this was here. If you don't have anything here, it's really easy to turn over your salesperson. It's also really easy to turn over your salesperson because if you haven't done this stuff, you can't, I, you have ICP, that ideal customer profile, but you also have an ICP, that ideal candidate profile. And if yes. you haven't, if you haven't identified this, you're not going to be able to identify the picture of that ideal candidate profile to be able to get a good robust team to be able to do this because cross-sell upsell is massively different skill set than net new hunting. 
And so you're likely going to have two teams. And then, oh, by the way, if you put customer success in there, slightly different, right? More operational as opposed to relational and all that good stuff. And then depending on the size of your organization, you're really going to have to determine, well, how much do I want to split this out? And is good enough, good enough until I can get specialists within each one of these. And that goes back to your idea of goal setting, of building this thing out to know what you want to be able to reverse engineer it. So there's a lot of good stuff there. Awesome. Absolutely. And this is, you know, here's the beautiful thing about this. When companies grow, they're able to expand their impact. And, um, you know, wherever you are right now in your business, whether you're just starting out or whether you're, you're trying to scale and frustrated or whether you're a large business and you go, we're doing great. We want to continue to grow. I just want to cheer you on. You know, let's, let's, uh, we say at the end of the revenue growth podcast, every episode, let's get growing. Uh, and, you know, seriously, let's get growing because when we grow, we're able to create impact. We're creating jobs, meaningful work for new people. Most of the companies we get to work with are generous in their communities and they're investing back into solve the world's problems. And we need that right now. So I'm passionate about seeing companies upgrade the revenue growth engine because when they do, they're able to have more impact. And so all of this, you know, I want as we wrap up, I just want to say, I'm cheering you on. I'm yeah. cheering you on anything you can do to grow right now. You know, let's get growing. We were in survival mode during the pandemic for a lot of reasons. Um, and, you know, we've come uh, into this new season of crazy stuff with supply chains and uh, price increases and global instability. And there's an there's, there's this temptation for many people to put their heads in the sand and go, okay, we'll just survive this. And I want to say, no, let's grow. Let's get growing. Let's get out there. Let's get it done. And the things that you're talking about on this podcast, the things we've talked about uh, today in this episode are all geared around helping companies increase their impact. And um, so for that, I want to say thank you, Brian, for all that you're doing here at the podcast and all that you're doing to equip business people to grow, because I think it's great work. Well, I appreciate that. And, and so our mission, whenever we started up our organization, EBS Growth, our mission is to help communities thrive through entrepreneurship, right? And yeah. I, that's what I liked about yours is your mission is to help um, communities to thrive from charitable entrepreneurship. So uh, money's only good for the good that it can do. So let's make a that's lot right. of it and do a lot of good. So let's, let's tie this down then. Let's ask rapid fire here. When you see people trying to transition to this, they go, yeah, 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 I got it. I've heard this before, which by the way, unfortunately, they're nothing new under the sun. So if you heard it before, let's do something. So let's talk about that. What are the biggest challenges that you see people making whenever they try to transition into doing this, following this process? What, do, what would you say, hey, don't do this because it's going to mess you up? I would say zoom out. Um, you know, it's easy to zoom in. There's a lot of shiny objects out there right now, <laughs> right? I mean, there's a lot of new, hey, look at new technology platforms and sales and marketing technologies. All this stuff's cool, by the way. I'm a nerd. I love all that stuff. Uh, but it's really easy to, to not see the forest through the trees. So that's why I, I say zoom out and look at these bigger issues of your net new and cross-sell goals, and your ideal client profile and the message, all those things. And then you've got something that you can then apply. And so just avoid the trap of getting caught in, um, in the latest trend or the latest shiny object and, um, you know, and zoom out and see the big picture. It's really, really helpful. 
Yeah, I think that's wise. Compete against yourself. Don't compare yourself to others and try to do what they're doing because it mm-hmm. might be right for them and absolutely wrong for you. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, how about um, biggest suggestions and around, um, let, let's say for scaling the business, if there's mm-hmm. one thing that you're going to suggest to a person to be able to, a, an organization to be able to scale, what's one scaling strategy or tactic that you might suggest? I would say take cross-selling seriously. Um, so many organizations, you know, when, when you go in, I know you've seen this, we see this all the time, you go in and you look at their business model and you look at their opportunity to sell more to their current clients and you, you realize you could never bring on another client and triple the size of this business. And, um, you know, and, and that happens. I mean, I've got sales in my DNA. I'm, I like to say I'm a recovering sales professional. I'm down to counseling twice a month. It's going nice. pretty Congratulations. well. Um, yeah, the tick's slowly going away, but <laughs> the, um, the, 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 the temptation is to land a deal and ignore it. And reality, what we need to do is we need to go in and invest in those and selling from the heart. Our most popular course is authentic client management. And the reason is companies are beginning to wake up to uh, the reality that when they take care of their current clients and they communicate with them and they keep listening to them, there's continual opportunity to grow. And so you can land an ideal client, but if you don't expand it, what's the point? Um, So I would say, don't ignore cross sell, like start to take that seriously. So many people kind of just gloss that over. And I think when you do that, you miss a significant chunk of revenue opportunity. And you miss a significant chance to help those people. I mean, the customer acquisition cost is the most on net new. You might as well help them out in the, in return to help your profit. That's absolutely right. And I, you know, when I look at that, I believe that, you know, we need to deliver our best and highest value. Jay Abraham is my favorite marketing author. And Jay would say, you have like a moral obligation to your clients to deliver the best and the highest value. Um, that means, you know, that means going back and communicating and, you know, all of that. And I think a lot of salespeople are either too focused on net new or just too scared. Something's going to go wrong to actually go back and have that conversation, but it's not just sales, it's sales, marketing, and operations working together to maximize the value of that client. And when you get that going and you get out of that mindset of just ringing the bell for a new, new order, a new client. That cross sell is the key to growth, and um, this is this is something I think we're seeing a lot more companies starting to get serious about that, and I yeah. think that's a really good thing. Well, how about books that you might recommend, podcast guides for people to get up to snuff on this? Other than Revenue Growth Engine, and they should text what to twenty one hundred. <laughs> text Revenue to twenty one thousand or twenty one thousand. Shoot, is off by a no, it's all good. I'll actually, uh, we'll actually send, if you're listening to the podcast and you do that um, on the website, if you pay just shipping and handling, I'll send you a book. We'll autograph it and send it out. I really want to help generous companies grow their business. Um, but books, you, I'm a Michalowicz fan, but the biggest, I think my favorite book by him is called The Pumpkin Plan. Okay, and yeah. uh, I love The Pumpkin Plan because it's on how to grow ideal clients. It's on how to grow big pumpkins. And uh, to your point earlier, he was, he was saying, you know, you probably need to fire 20% of your clients on a given year. He gives you a graceful way to do that, but really focusing your business in on how can we grow these client relationships? I love Mike McCallowitz's work. And I'm also really digging um, 
you know, I'm a sales junkie with selling from the heart. We get to talk to lots of sales authors on that podcast, which is so fun. But Anthony Anarino's new book, Elite mm. Sales Strategies, that just came out is pure gold. Um, I've been uh, like, I'm wearing out a highlighter on this. Anthony, if you hear this podcast, you know, I'm a fan. Uh, but I, I first heard Anthony talk about this when we were at the Outbound Conference last year. And it was so brilliant. I'm so glad he put this into a book. Um, so uh, Anthony Anarino, Elite Sales Strategies, Becoming One-Up, Creating Value, and Becoming Truly Consultative. Bingo book, right on point. And uh, so I'm just finishing that one up right now. And I think it's fantastic. Great. Thanks. We'll have to check that one out. I've not seen that one yet. Now, how about the future trends? What are you seeing come down the pike where you're going, oh my gosh, this is like, ah, run away, or this is cool, so cool. What do you see coming down the pike? Yeah, I love this question. And um, <sighs> wow, we should do a whole hour on this sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, you look at future trends, and I think there's both a runaway and uh, an embrace. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested and curious to see how artificial intelligence supports us and doesn't uh, consume us. So I think there's a lot of fear in the sales world that artificial intelligence is someday going to you know, destroy the, the reality that people buy from people, um, you know, and, and one of another, by the way, another, it's an article, not a book, but I think it is really great around the future of sales was in last, um, the last edition of the Harvard Business Review by Brent Adamson on sense making in sales. And what Brent says is our role in sales is in this place where we have, there's like this arms race going on for content right? We, we, there's so many companies creating so much good content. We've been doing content marketing now for 15 years and buyers are thoroughly confused a lot of times. Yeah, by not exact opposite suggestions. Well, yeah, and it's not that they're now the cool thing. And I, I thought this was a really interesting point when I was talking to Brent last week is he goes, you know, it used to be that 15 years ago that a lot of the content was garbage. Um, so you had to pe help sort people out like what's good and what's not. There's a lot of good advice out there. Like, a lot. And so now um, buyers are looking at this going, what do I do? Right. And, uh, you know, and I mean, Brent Adamson with Challenger, you know, 10 plus years ago with Matt Dixon said, teach Taylor and take control, bring commercial insight, um, you know, and all of that, which is great. But now he's saying, and I think this is the a window into the future is to look and go, okay, how do I now help them make sense of all of this? Yeah. And how do I rise? And this is also what Anthony's book addresses really well, which is understanding that buyers are swamped with information. What ends up happening, and it's been happening for a while, is the biggest competitor now is the status quo. Right. So it's deals just getting stuck in the pipeline because they're paralyzed. And so sense-making, which coincidentally is a chapter in Elite Sales Strategies, uh, that Brent Adamson is talking about to me is one of the latest trends in sales to go, okay, it's not just, you know, it's not going in and uncovering the pain, you know, tell me what keeps you up at night. It's understanding that and understanding the landscape of information that's available to buyers and then going in and helping them make sense, not only about that information, but helping them make sense so they can build consensus to actually get their sales team 
their buying team to go, okay, let's move forward into some, you know, an actual real deal, not, you know, some meaningless pilot, but actually embrace the change. So when it comes to future right now, I'm really, I love, I'm a sales junkie. And so I love this shift right now in the sales world um, I, that I think the sales world is going to have to make and is starting to make in terms of this word of sense making and uh, the, kind of the evolving role of the sales rep. Nice. Um, hopefully at the same time, AI is doing more of the busy work for us. And I'm, I'm fascinated with that, but I could talk about future stuff for <laughs> the next hour. And I know we're going to run out of time. So I'm going to leave it with sense-making check out that article by Brent Adamson. You can Google it. It's a fascinating read. Cool. We'll have to check that out. So, Hey, uh, Daryl, who should reach out to you? How should they do it? And why should people reach out to you? <laughs> well, ex- absolutely. Um, anybody that wants to grow should reach out. I love working with, um, generous, visionary business owners, entrepreneurs, as well as sales leaders and marketing leaders in those companies. Um, LinkedIn is where I spend most of my time. And the good news about having a name, Daryl Amy, which I do wholeheartedly acknowledge is two names. And the last name is uh, usually a girl's name. So, uh, but there's only one of me on LinkedIn. So uh, I didn't get the last name Brown or Jones or Smith. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you. And um, when we do, we've got a lot of free resources we put out there um, on Revenue Growth Engine. As we talked about earlier, text the word revenue to 21,000 and look for me on the Revenue Growth Podcast with fresh ideas every week. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Daryl. I really appreciate it. So out of this, make sure that we're doing a little bit of cross-selling, upselling with our net new, get about 10 to 15, 10 to 20% each side, have a scalable, sustainable growth off of that, focus on your customers, make gobs and gobs of money, and then be super charitable with it. And that way we can impact communities and help them to thrive. So um, very exciting stuff. Thanks so much, Daryl. I really appreciate it. And as always, don't just listen. Knowledge for knowledge sake is pointless. Let's knowledge for application's sake. Get this out, share it, thumbs up it, get it out there for everyone to everyone else to help communities thrive. Thanks, Daryl. You're welcome. See you.